I'm directly challenged. And that would seem to be a hindrance for a tour guide. You know, when I told my friends I got that job, they immediately were like, somebody's going to pay you to guide. (laughs) But I'm really good at bullshitting. Hello and welcome again to the No Name NYC podcast. My name is Eric Vetter. I am the host and co-founder of New York City's longest-running comedy variety show, No Name, and A Bag of Chips. And this is exciting. If you're listening to this on the day it was first dropped, that would be February 1st. And February 1st is special to No Name because February is our 30th anniversary month. On February 26th of 1994, we did our very first show. And now in February, what, what the hell year is it? 2024, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still here, man. If you've been here for any part of the journey uh, or if you're just joining us, thank you so much for spending whatever time you've spent with us. And uh, we hope you'll continue to go forward with us. So the voice you heard up front is Nicole Bozzuto. Nicole is the lead singer of the band Nikki and the Sky Rockets. She's a wonderful singer-songwriter. And now she fronts a band that plays wonderful music. We had a good conversation with her. We're going to get to that in a little bit. You know, actually, it's kind of interesting. Our our two February releases are both songwriters, and they're both people who've been featured at our past series, No Name Presents the Uptown Cabaret, which we do still intend to revive, but they were both featured composers on different nights of that show. And they're radically different types of composers, different types of musicians. I'm kind of proud of the fact that in that series alone, we presented people who've won Tony Awards and appeared on Broadway and done all sorts of amazing things. It's nice to share a slice of that with you guys. Speaking of anniversaries, we if you'd like to come see a no-name show live in person, if you're in New York City, and why would you be anywhere else? I'm a little biased, but that's the way I feel. You can come see us on February 6th. We will be back at the wonderful Word Up Bookshop in beautiful Washington Heights at 7 p.m. That will be a super story party co-hosted by Michelle Carlo and featuring folks like Dr. Leona Godin and Jillian Thomas and some other people, and it's going to be great. And on February 17th, the closest show we will have to our actual anniversary date, so consider it an anniversary show, we will be back at the wonderful comedy club QED in Astoria. A couple of years ago, they were voted the best comedy club in New York City, and I would never even think to argue with that. That's a wonderful place. A great time will be had. Amazing lineup. Among those you will see there that night, subject to change, I always feel I need to mention that, will be Charles McBee, Liz Mealy, Dave Lester, Michelle Carlo, and Lee Allen Barrett. And music will be provided by Binder Sues. Alex D'Souza and Richard Binder. You can't beat that. Tickets are on sale now. Go to the QED website. Saturday, February 17th, 7 p.m. Tickets are available. I believe the website is qedastoria.com. So come, celebrate with us. It's going to be a great night, and it'll be greater if you're able to be there with us. Feel the love, man. Feel the love. We've got a great conversation with Nicole Bizzuto of Nikki and the Skyrockets coming up in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. You know what the deal is. From the home of Bob the Squirrel, get away to Green Bay. That's right, the historic 
Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast before, but the breakfast in a lot of these places tends to be like a mini box of cereal or uh, some questionable fruit, things of that nature, a piece of toast maybe with some butter. But not at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast. Your innkeepers, Tom and Linda Steber, will provide you with a delicious, absolutely world-class breakfast every single morning. They will also make you feel welcome in any one of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have a private bath and some of which have their own jacuzzi. If you want to know what's going on around town, Tom and Linda will let you know about any special events, and they'll also make recommendations for you to any of the wonderful restaurants in town. So you can't beat it. Go. Go now. Go. Get away to Green Bay. For more information or for reservations, go to www.astorhouse.com. That's A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Get away to Green Bay. How long were you in, in Alaska this last stint? About three months, three, three and a half. I and, went up and, there And May. specifically, you're, you're a tour guide, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I lead active adventure tours up there and uh, I take people ice climbing and whitewater rafting and hiking every day. And yeah, it's awesome. I and, do about and, eight and trips And are there card summer. games at night? There are. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Depends on the group, but yeah. <laughs> so well, let, me, let me ask you this. How... I've got to watch this. By the way, I'm letting you, I, I want you to keep me in check here. I, I recently, you know, because I always listen back to the episodes afterwards to try and hear what's working, what's not working. I've discovered I've had an alarming trend in recent months to say several times during the interview. Now, let me ask you this, you know, and, and I'm starting to annoy me. So that was that was number one. I, I can get one more. But if I get to a third one, either call me out or just smack me. <laughs> All right. So anyway, but so let me ask you this. Oh, that's number two, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> you're not cut but off how yet. long? <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to smack me. I won't see it coming. I think most of the time since I've, I've known you, you, you have done some sort of leading tour, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. How long have you been doing that totally? 14 years now. It's going to be my 14th year this year. And you're exclusively doing Alaska these days, right? Um, I actually just uh, got hired officially with Explorer Chicks. So I'm going to be doing um, some freelance side trips to uh, like Moab, Utah, Arizona, hopefully up in Maine, stuff like that. But I did one trip in Moab this year um, in October for like four days and just kick-ass women and had a really good time. So it left a good taste in my mouth. I decided to work for them too. But I'm their local guide in Alaska. So they work with my company and mm. uh, send people up and... Then I decided that I really like working with them, so I'm going to do some more. So I wanted to stay relevant in the guiding world, so yeah. (laughs) I understand. How did you land there? Um, I worked as a ski lift operator in Telluride, Colorado, way back in like 2009, and all my friends did seasonal jobs. So I was like, well, that's cool. I could do that. So Mm I had never whitewater rafted before, but I was kind of looking to be a, a rafting guide, and I'm like, I'll learn. It's fine. And then I started looking into that. I was like, I don't think that's the level of risk that I want to take. So (laughs) I applied for a bunch of jobs. I got hired at all of them. I decided not to do that because it was a little daunting. But I came across on coolworks.com a uh, 
guiding job and they would train you to be a tour guide and take you to all these different cool locations and give you your commercial driver's license. Obviously I had to earn that, but like they would train you on all the things, what to do. And I did 14 days of uh, like tour leader boot camp, basically, where they would like deflate your tire in the middle of the day and like they oh. pretend they'd have like people pretend to get lost and like, what do you do? What do you do? Worst case scenarios. So, so they but, keep you occupied for a few minutes while they're they're setting up your next hazard. Yeah, exactly. But it was like, OK, you faced all these worst case scenarios. You passed. OK, cool. Like you could be a guide. So where, where do you originally hail from? Connecticut. From Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And uh, what part of Connecticut? What was life like? like Plainville, there? Connecticut, straight up suburbia. Mm. <laughs> um, it's right in the middle of, of Connecticut. So it's kind of like just small town, nine square miles. I lived there all the way through high school and I went to UConn and then decided I wanted to live in New York City. So oh, you're, like so, I said, you were one of the first people I ever met in New York at uh, Piper's Kilt at karaoke. I moved in <laughs> with my roommates through roommates.com, walked in and... You were like, "Hey, you're new. Nice <laughs> to meet you." <laughs> I, 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 it's funny. I don't even remember any first conversations or whatever. I just remembered, you know, I, I had a bunch of friends that hung out there, as, as you now know. Uh, and so I was spending a fair amount of time hanging out there. And one night, I just remember you singing, and like, "Oh man, she she's really good." And I, I, I think my entire memory of that is something like I was going up to the bar to get a beverage and you were there like, oh, nice song. Uh, <laughs> or, or, or something effusive like that. But then because I was there a lot and you started hanging out there, you know, so you did. But like, it's funny. If if you spend any time around karaoke, which I I hope none of our listeners do. Um, unless it's Dan karaoke. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless, it's, you know, unless it's, I'm not a karaoke geek, but when it's done right and the right people, it it's very enjoyable. But what I, what I was going to say is that if if you spend any time around there, it, you hear some people who have amazing voices who you know don't do that for a living. Mm-hmm. But always surprising to me who does do it professionally on some level and who did not. Yeah. And so you you were already out there performing your music when you came through there, right? Yeah, I was just doing solo stuff. So I always, uh, I picked up the guitar and started playing when I was 16, just because I wanted to accompany myself with something. You can't just walk around singing at the top of your, well, you could, but like, it's <laughs> oh, nicer. Oh, I've known people, people. People take you a little more seriously with an instrument. So yeah, I, uh, traditionalist. <laughs> it's like the three chord wonder. So I was like a good <laughs> campfire guitar player. I did a lot of open mics and stuff like that, but I was playing around um, Hell's Kitchen a bunch, so I played a little bit at the Holland Bar. Uh, there was a place called The Sanctuary that I used to play. I remember Sanctuary. Um, yeah, there was just a couple places. They paid me to like play way down in the corner for like 20 bucks, and they give me drinks all night and just collect tips. And I'm like, all right, that's good enough for me. That's fine. That works. Well, so growing up in suburban Connecticut. That was uh, joyful. <laughs> So so you were kind of always singing kind of a thing? Yeah. No, I was always in chorus and uh, any opportunity to sing. Chorus church-wise or? No, I mean, I went to church a little bit, would sing along with everybody, but uh, I was in the school chorus and then I joined oh, women's choir, choir in, uh, in high school. And then we had kind of like an exclusive group called Swing that was like two people per part. You'd have like soprano, high soprano, alto, um, like tenor, all that. So it was kind of. Uh, and what kind of music are you singing? Um, it was a mixture of stuff, but they uh, they tried to do a lot of like, I don't know, Simon and Garfunkel. They do like Billy Joel covers, all of my boyfriend's least favorite stuff, but I love that kind of music. And they do uh, some show tunes and stuff, but uh, it depended on whatever the teacher wanted to do that year. 
you know, those are school and local functions or whatever, but did you ever have any desire to pursue that or, or you know, an eye toward performing professionally? Um, I liked being on stage and I liked the feel of just having people listen to you and watch you, but um, I never wanted to pursue like a choral kind of thing. It just taught me about music and harmonies and things like that, but I always wanted to kind of write my own stuff and tell my own story or do covers that just meant something to me. So, yeah, I, I always wanted to be in a band. I always thought it was cool to be a, a band member or just go see a band, anything with rock and roll. So I so, wanted to be the person on stage. <laughs> was Nikki and the Sky Rockets your first proper band? No, I had a band before that we were trying to just do cover stuff. It was called Chill Out Fred, and it was friends that I had met in uh, Jersey City. And so we, we kind of had a couple of rotating members, but we did that for a while, and it just didn't it didn't fit with original music, but it was mm. kind of fun to do um, covers. And then I used to book music at Maxwell's in Hoboken, the, the second version of it once they closed and reopened. So, so you start playing guitar and, and writing songs a little before you get out of high school. Mm-hmm. What did you go to college for? To, Other than to get out the house, <laughs> I went for the uh, went for the music man. No, I went to uh, UConn for journalism and English, so I had a double major in that. And I wanted to be Hunter S. Thompson, write for Rolling Stone, and just kind of like be around music, but get paid to travel and write. And kind of found that found out very quickly that journalism is not a lucrative industry and it's a dust bound job. So it's like, all right, I'm going to be a tour guide and play music on the side, and then just my passions and so so you had the idea then to be a tour guide um no that's just kind of how it manifested and came out but I always wanted to get paid to travel and I just I thought that okay. I'd be able to get there through writing but I decided oh, so you to... were originally thinking I'll write the travel books and the travel magazines and yeah. stuff like that yeah so either like National Geographic or Rolling Stone or something and I was like those are those are pretty high hopes so those are hard to get into and I didn't want to put in the time with the local newspapers. I tried for a little bit. I was a feature writer for the Willamette Chronicle for like six months, and it was fun. I had a couple articles, and I don't know. It wasn't What were thing. you writing about? Like the town turns 100. There's a school book fair. There's, a, I mean, just very small town things. There was right, like right. a children's book thing, and I got to interview a couple cool people. Like Jackie Robinson's daughter wrote a, uh, a book, and uh, I don't know, there was... Forbes magazine. I think I interviewed that guy. He wrote a children's book too. And I don't know. It was it was nothing really special, but <laughs> Right, right. All right. But so so you're like, this is not for me and and it don't pay enough. Right, exactly. I guess the you. pay and not getting paid to travel was the biggest thing. So I was like, well, I make more money waitressing and uh decided to just follow that for a while to pay the bills and play music on the side. And then I just I really did fall into the tour guiding. So that's <laughs> given me a lot of the uh I don't know, the material for the songs that I write. It's a lot of just travel and you write down all these ideas. And then when you finally have a free moment, kind of make it something cohesive and try to make it a song. But Did you travel much before you found that as a profession? Yes and no. Um, I had gone to Europe a couple of times. I was lucky enough to... With family or on your own? Uh, with my school, actually. So when I was 16, I worked all summer so I could pay to go to France and Spain. And our uh, Spanish teacher and art teacher took 12 of us to um, Madrid, Barcelona, Toledo, and Paris. And I'd oh, never man. been out of the country before. So that was super cool. So when I was 16, we got to go in February for like 10 days and it just blew my mind. So I came back and I was like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I want to travel. So I uh, came back and worked all summer the next year. went to Mexico with my Spanish teacher um, the following year. And then I just, I always camped with my family. So we would go to like Massachusetts, Maine, like your, your places fam- that were pretty family, local. like 
kind of outdoorsy types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So we would go with like the family dog and my parents and my sister, and we would uh, usually go places like two, three hours away. But I hadn't really extensively traveled the country until until I started to guide. So I had never been to a national park before. And then on my training trip, I hit like five of them. So that blew my mind too. So seeking out the, the travel guide thing, uh, was that just a, let's see what's out there, or were you specifically looking for something like that? Oh, no, it was, let, let's see what's out there. I was applying to be <laughs> a rafting guide and then just came across that, and they were going to pay you to go to all these different locations. And I thought it was a fake job. Um, <laughs> I applied, and I, I expected to get an email back saying, oh, just send this much money to this oh, foreign address. And uh, <laughs> But I actually went in for an interview in Wharton, New Jersey, and like got to put a face with the name and um, actually meet some of the managers there. And we had like a two-hour interview. They uh, they kind of wanted to know what your knowledge of the country was and travel and just the national parks. And um, I studied up a bunch on all of it because I really didn't know and got the job. So I, it was big points in my book for showing up with hiking shoes on and uh, <laughs> and just jeans and looking comfortable instead of being like dressed to the nines. So they're like, all right, you look the part. You're see, all right. <laughs> see, those, those boots look real new. Yeah. No. <laughs> They're I like, cleaned well, like them up for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and and all, all along, you're 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 writing music, and and are you, are you playing out anywhere? Um, no, I I didn't really hit that much. I played around New York City, and uh, I played through college and stuff like that. But no, I, I got a lot of confidence just kind of being by myself a lot when I was on the road with the guiding. So mm-hmm. when I had free time, um, I had a, a van at my disposal so I could just drive <laughs> wherever looked cool. I'd have time in between. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go here. I'm going to check out this. And You do one of those things. Like, okay, everybody, we're going to play some cards now. We're going to play <laughs> card games. All right. All right, uh, so everyone's set here, right? I'm going to go do a beer run right now and go out and play a few gigs. And, oh, damn, I forgot the beer again. Uh-oh. Uh, so where, where did you, when you, what was your first travel gig? Where, uh, where did you get sent? I'm trying to remember. I did like a 14-day trip. I was based out of Santa Rosa, or we were in L.A. actually when we started. They They moved to Santa Rosa later on that season, but... A lot of trips would go from like L.A. to San Francisco in one direction or the other. So I think I started in um, El Segundo or like L.A. area. And then we drove to Monument Valley, Grand Canyon. Uh, I think we did Moab, Utah. Ended up back up in San Francisco. We hit Vegas on the way. Um, so it was like two days in each place. And uh, I think it was a 14-day trip. And then I think I did it backwards from San Francisco the second trip. I was trip, wondering so, if they yeah. like, well, you got to get back home, right? All right. Why don't you take the tour that's going the other way? Yeah. Well, it was a lot of trial and error. So like the first couple trips I ran, I wasn't the greatest tour guide. I definitely couldn't find the Golden Gate Bridge on my first trip. Well, hopefully you didn't lose the deck of cards. <laughs> no, I didn't lose the deck of cards, but I uh, could not find that bridge. It took me like an hour. I tried to lie to the group and tell them that the uh, the Bay Bridge <laughs> was it. And everybody believed me except for one, like one of my Korean passengers pulls out a picture and he's like, no, that's not it. <laughs> now, <laughs> I tried now, to play it off like I meant it the whole time and was like, all right, no, you got me. Let's go find it. <laughs> this is before GPS or anything. GPS is the best thing that ever happened to me because I'm directly challenged. I, I, <laughs> that would seem to be a hindrance for a tour guide. You know, when I told my friends I got that job, they immediately were like, somebody's going to pay you to guide. <laughs> 
I was going to say, did, did, did you think this was going to stick? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really good at bullshitting, so uh, <laughs> I figured at some I point something that's would actually work, really so. helpful for oh, the, yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, I think for anything that involves a tour, any where you're the person who is the focus, the leader, and, and dispensing, like if you can bullshit, you can. It, it, you, if you, you know, can Liz, bullshit. You can do it. <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, Liz Mealy, a comedian, does our show a lot. You, you've I likely, so, yeah. You've likely been on the bill with her at some point yeah. uh, over the years. Uh, she did a wonderful bit about ghost tours <laughs> and how they're all the same, and it's, it is like says. They all begin the same way. A failed actor comes out wearing old-timey clothes and new-timey sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on from Accurate. there. <laughs> but but it's it, the same sort of vibe. It's like, look, they got to listen to you. So, uh, you know, unless someone's get what <laughs> And they just what, jump in the van with me. <laughs> I don't even have to check the paperwork. I'm just the like, checks right. have already cleared. So. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Let's go on an adventure, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your affairs are in order. I don't know where we're going to end up, but we're going somewhere. <laughs> now, did you feel confident? Like, did you? Oh, God, I, it, no. I, I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> let me be specific. Were you confident in the idea that you were conveying confidence? Like, you knew yeah. what you didn't know, but did you feel like you were selling it? Yeah. Okay, well, that's... <laughs> With 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 a lot of groups, I would imagine that's all you really need. But now I'm starting to think because I don't I don't know exactly how long ago that was. But it's 2011. I started. All right. So all right. So I mean, smartphones are a deal already. But I hadn't. I did not get a smartphone until 2016. My first season up in Alaska with my previous company. Uh, my manager made me get a smartphone. He was like, "I'm so sick of texting and calling you to telling you to check your email." <laughs> <laughs> Get a smartphone. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't, and, and, and no, no judgment, but I would think that in that position, that would be the, the reason I was going down that path. Is you were talking about the, you know, the one person who wasn't buying it on on that trip. I was wondering when you started, how many people were all obsessively on their phones trying to track the trip as you're doing it. Well, nobody at the beginning of when I guided because I, people I didn't imagine. all have phones and we didn't have Wi-Fi in most of those places. So right. you it, could pretty much I'm, come up with whatever. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking it would be much harder, I would imagine, to bullshit the kind of things you were bullshitting at uh, nowadays. Oh, yeah. No, now you actually have to do a good job. But the nice <laughs> thing is now I actually know my shit. So, <laughs> so well, I've had a nice career. <laughs> but so so did, did you like it immediately? I did. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was wonderful to have like groups of people that wanted to go and take these vacations and go see these incredible places. And I feel like it attracted a lot of the same kind of personalities that you would want to be around. So people just wanted to go and experience these cool spots and I wanted to take them and get paid to do so. So <laughs> I would imagine that, and, and probably the percentage varies, but I would imagine you have two main types, the, the, the folks who genuinely have that spirit of adventure and exploring and taking in new things and those who are just kind of doing it because they want to say they did it kind of a thing and really have no, you know, passionate interest in it. Yeah, I've only had one experience with that. I led a 75-day trip with uh, some of the worst people I've ever met in my life across 48 states, and they were bucket list checkers that just wanted, to take a, states? Mm -hmm, just wanted to take pictures of uh, the signs of the places that they went to but didn't actually care to experience it. But in maybe 140 trips I've run, I've had maybe three groups like that. So the, okay. the well, not a bad odds are in my favor. Percentage. Most of the people really do want to go and see these things, and they either have 
never seen anything like that before and wanted to have a new experience or they're pretty savvy travelers and they just wanted somebody else to kind of do the legwork and mm. or they just wanted to be around like a like-minded group of people and their friends didn't always go but how, how, yeah. do, you, do you have a lot of conflicts uh, when, when you're in a group situation? Do you have a lot of conflicts with the people who want to go everywhere and the people who are like, oh, can we stop? No, no. Most of the people are pretty like they just want to go and do and see everything. And it's kind of people follow what you put out there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you you get excited about what you're going to do and people are like, yeah, OK, let's do that. So. <laughs> I'm going to do a sidebar here because you said something to me a few years ago that really surprised me. You said to me something to the effect of when you were younger, you you wanted to be Julie Andrews. Oh, God, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be so into show tunes, and she was just, she was it. She was like the mecca. So, I don't know. I was obsessed with Sound of Music when I was a kid, like, to an obnoxious level. And (laughs) we had this, like, this van called the Groovy Great Mobile. It was just this, like... (laughs) This vacation. Wait, van I just want to we, let that settle in for a minute. <laughs> My parents had a van that we called the Groovy Great Mobile, shag carpeting and everything. Like <laughs> it was, it was everything you're picturing. But so um, <laughs> but right. we had this little five inch TV with the VHS, and I had Sound of Music, and every road trip, I was like, we got to play this, and I sang <laughs> along at the top of my lungs, and just I was a kid, but still. <laughs> no, I'm I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because I'm trying to think. In that particular time period, how many vans were cruising along the highway with show tunes blasting? Ours was. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. But that was just something you liked, or did you actually aspire to that? I really, I didn't know much about acting or anything, and uh, it took me up until high school to taking an acting class and be like, oh, you're terrible at this. But um, I wanted to be on stage. I thought Broadway was the coolest thing ever, and uh, I didn't. I had never been to actual Broadway, but a lot of the Broadway shows would come second run through um, right. the Bushnell in Connecticut. So I went and saw a lot of those. And I just really, I was enthralled by the story and like just how people made that all come to life on stage. So, but it was pretty much the singing that drew me in. So I was like, oh, well, if I can sing, I can act, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so when you started writing music, what kind of things were you writing? I wrote groovy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I was trying to rip off like John Lennon and uh, Simon and Garfunkel. I just, I was trying to, I was very new with the guitar. So I was mm. trying to just play songs that were one or two chords and uh, like just very basic strum patterns. So I was trying to write about nature, how it made me feel, like things that I now still write about the same topics, but I feel like I flushed it out a lot more. But mm. um the leaves are not groovy, but <laughs> I wanted to say they were then. But um, I don't know. I I went from like trying to be this like hippie artist to actual actually writing about like things that happened to me and kind of I've always been drawn to nature and weather and how that makes you feel and kind of tying that in with um, emotions and things. And especially after traveling, the road has always spoken to me a lot. So that ends up in a lot of my songs. But So when you're... At the point where you're on the road regularly, uh, you say you started see- seeking out gigs when you had downtime on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, were you were you playing more then than you had previously? No, because I I didn't have a ton of downtime, but I would just kind of pass through towns and try to take note of where there were open mic nights. And I I was inspired a lot by other people's music. So it was nice to just kind of like be in a creative environment and just hear other people and what they had to play. And I don't know, just kind of like catalog that in the back of your mind. And uh, it 
you'd find like, I don't know, different people's stories might prompt something else in your own head and uh, inspire you to write something or just hearing somebody say something in a creative way just kind of sparks your own creativity. So I didn't do a lot of like paid gigs or anything, but I would go and just a lot of open mics pretty much. And then the occasional karaoke because what the <laughs> hell. <laughs> be, be, because it's singing and there's beer. Uh, I'm sorry, you're a wine person, aren't you? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, point being... There are beverages to be had while singing. Yeah, but I tried to sing on the street in uh, in Vegas, and that was probably like the biggest disaster ever. I, had, <laughs> I ended up in tons of photos. I had people like take pictures of me with me, like give me the peace sign. People came up and hugged me. I got like a couple loose joints and a, a bottle, but like <laughs> nobody paid me. I think I made a dollar, but at the end of it, a family invited me out to dinner, so I ended up going oh, with them. But. <laughs> It was, uh, I did a little bit of busking when I was in Australia, and then I did a little bit of busking down in um, Asheville, North Carolina, and I did really well in Australia. I did okay in Asheville. I did god-awful in Vegas, and I don't think I've busked <laughs> since then. Well, I mean, <laughs> Vegas, let, let's be honest, the spare change, the the spending money, the mad money is going to <laughs> other places in, in yeah. Vegas. What you got to do is you got you got a case who just won and is coming out of the casino then rush right outside, set up. La, la, la. <laughs> Somebody had me sing me and Bobby McGee to their dog while they videotaped it. They put their chihuahua in my lap and filmed it. That was special. <laughs> <laughs> is, is this available out there? Probably. I don't know where though. <laughs> <laughs> I asked my lawyers to suppress it, but... Uh, Oh, that, that, that's, that sounds like a very special moment. That was, was in Vegas? Yeah, it was in Vegas, yeah. Well, it, I don't know why you don't do more gigs there. <laughs> uh, that so. wasn't my breaking moment. But. <laughs> <laughs> Once you lock into the travel guide gig, how much time are you doing? How much downtime over the course of the average year? Um, I've pretty much just been doing the summertime recently. So Alaska is like a three month season. So June, July, and August, a lot of the trips are kind of back to back. So I might have like anywhere from one to five days between trips, but typically it's just one after another. So just enough time to like sleep, reset, clean all your gear, um, plan the next one, do a big grocery shop, food prep, and then get back out there and do it again. But, um, I used to go for the whole year or like six to eight months. I know there was a time you were, you were like, you know, maybe nine to 10 months of the year, right? Yeah. So now it's, I like to be back a little bit. So the band's kind of been more of a focus and I don't know, have an apartment and dog, boyfriend, family, (laughs) friends. It's nice to be home. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm trying to track this uh, chronologically. The band, did that emerge out of, uh, ultimately kind of emerged out of when you were immersed in the Hoboken scene? Yeah. So when I was in uh, Jersey City in Hoboken, my old roommate Nick introduced me to a bunch of people and working at so Maxwell's. So that started during one of your lulls in the in the travel thing, right? Yeah. So Jersey City kind of like switched something in me where I just, I found a place that I really wanted to be. I had been in Manhattan for quite a long time and I loved it and it always pulled me back, but it never was hundred percent when I was looking for it. It was kind of like you were almost the puzzle piece that fit, but not quite. Well, I would I imagine found- Manhattan, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking that Manhattan is probably a really tough gig to navigate on a two to three months of the year kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah, it definitely was. But Jersey City, just I met so many incredible musicians and friends and just 
people that really made me want to stay. So I I feel like you're kind of from where you connect with. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. immediately was like, I'm from Jersey. I'm from Jersey. So <laughs> um, I loved Jersey And you started City playing and, out a lot more when you yeah, did that, right? Yeah, so I would be out either listening to music or playing music almost every night. And I just really, really loved it. And again, working at Maxwell's, I was around the music all the time. And I was lucky enough to be able to book Wednesday nights in the front room. And mm-hmm. so and what I got would to a meet typical a- Wednesday night consist of? Um, it would be two acts per night. So I would have usually just singer-songwriter, occasionally a band or a duo. But I would I was like the singing waitress. I would get up <laughs> and I worked every Wednesday and then I would kind of like MC it and run the sound. So I would book somebody to play for an hour. And then so there was no dead air. I'd get up and sing like three songs in between. And then I'd have somebody else play afterwards. And I, through my roommate and just through friends there, got connected with a lot of people I hadn't met before. So I got to book people um, to play. And then they got to hear me because I got up and sang between the acts. Um, And so that's actually how I met my guitar player for Nicky and the Skyrockets is that I knew him. I had heard him do solo stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I booked him for a night. And when I got up and sang, he's like, you got some catchy tunes. I I really want to play with you. (laughs) And he was he's an incredible guitar player. So I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. You're way better than I am. (laughs) So I kind of just like shrugged it off. And I was like, thanks for the compliment. I appreciate it. But uh, I'll book you some other time (laughs) and didn't really pursue that. And (laughs) then I booked him again and he said the same thing. And I was like, all right, well, I don't think you're just blowing smoke like I I think you actually mean it so I I do a birthday show every year a big bazooto stock Mm -hmm. thing and uh, I have I have been present for one or two of those (laughs) they're a lot of fun but we decided to try out like just a couple cover songs with him and uh, my boyfriend Paul he's a bass player so I kind of pulled him away from his uh, his cover band and we tried it out. We took his uh, so wh- drummer from came- that band and played, and it sounded good. So we wh- which came to first, Paul joining the band or becoming the boyfriend? Uh, becoming the boyfriend. <laughs> so he had to join the band. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! I oh, I like having sex. All right, I'll play. <laughs> <laughs> but he was in like he was in a fun cover band. He just I think he was looking for a little bit more. And uh, he wanted to write and create, too. So mm-hmm. he writes some sick bass lines. And uh, I, I know that our style of music isn't 100% what he wants to play. He likes to do a lot more like fast-paced punk, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was um, going to say, I thought, I, I, I'm not super familiar with his stuff, but I, I seem to recall that he, he was more of a, a little bit harder edge. Yeah, but our next album, there is a punk song on it. I had like a singer-songwriter ah. thing, and he's like, no, 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 speed that up. That's a punk song. So, Oh, nice. <laughs> so stay nice. tuned that, for that. that, that your but... first foray into into singing on, on punk? Yes, yes. And I'm oh, trying I gotta to... hear this. <laughs> the, uh, the guitar playing's fast and hard, and it's just, uh, it's fun. It's good, but it's a workout on stage. That's why all <laughs> the punk songs are two minutes for a reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, so from from this initial experiment with the guitar player and 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 Paul coming in, a, a band formed from that. Yeah, so we didn't quite know what we didn't even have a name at that point. We just kind of threw it together, and and this is while the the Hoboken thing is still going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we had played. There, there was a time I, I have to say there was a time when I felt like I was sometimes receiving invites, but sometimes just seeing from various posts or whatever like. Well, uh, she's playing a gig on on Wednesday. Well, then on Thursday, it's like it was like it, it was a lot. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I knew some of the places you were actually working at, working at. But yeah. there was, you know, it seemed to me, from where I was standing, it seemed to me like you were both involved in and 
and like kind of rousing the troops a, a lot too. Like, hey, let let let's start a night here, or, you know, an yeah. open mic here or whatever. And because uh, it always, I mean, you know this too. Like places open, they close. They open, they close. You're always trying to search after like the next yeah. place that will actually support music. So, but 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 that 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 little area though for for a while was really popping, right? Like you could you know go a couple of blocks in any direction, and you'd hit another place that stuff was going on. Right? Yeah, that Can you talk about that is, scene? Yeah, it's uh it's changed a lot in the past I, couple no, of years, no. but um. But I mean, at that moment, what what can you describe what that was like? It was incredible. I mean, there was every single night of the week you could go out and see somebody, hear something, either like be part of an open mic or go see a, a really cool band or singer songwriter. And like stylistically, what it was all over the place. So it was a lot of um, lots of singer songwriters because we're all a time a dozen. But um, there's a uh, lots of people with their guitars, and then there were um, some rock bands, um, some people doing a little bit of punk, some country. Uh, I don't know. It was a little bit of everything, but um, some and, and kind of like there, ska, reggae type <laughs> stuff. And I know there were a few times I went to see various shows in that area, and like just walking to the venues, like along the the boardwalk or whatever. Like, I I don't know what it's going to be like when I get to the show I'm going to, but this is good. I should stay here. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> well, because yeah, just walking around Hoboken is always and nice. And I, I presume that was a lot of that was people like, well, I'm not on. On for another hour, let's let's busk for a little bit, yeah. you know? <laughs> and that was, I don't know, I mean, the, the pedestrian walkway that they put down Newark Avenue, that's allowed people to be able to, like, do busking and stuff out there. But in turn, it kind of changed the clientele that were around there, and there's not really music venues anymore. I know mm. LITM used to be a really good place in Jersey City. FM was uh, Corgi, like a distillery. They just closed. They really supported live music a lot. But a lot of these places, they kind of do, like, a – two to five year stint and then they kind of go out of business. So either getting pushed out for condos or getting closed because rent's really high. But yeah. um, places are still trying, but I feel like a lot of people have moved to like coffee shops or just smaller venues that don't necessarily have a sound guy or a stage. But um, it's still there. It just kind of like goes into hiding for a little bit and comes back. But I feel like we're in that period right now. So I'm still kind of like scoping out where the places are and uh, they're not necessarily all in a central area anymore. But All right. That I was going to ask you, you know, because sometimes a scene will just die and sometimes it dies down and then finds a new place to, to lock into. Yeah. So the music is still very, very much alive in Jersey City, especially like I could list off 20 bands off the top of my head that are incredible, but mm-hmm. Um, they are just looking for places to play. So I think that's the the biggest thing right now is there's just this vacancy of places to perform. And especially a lot of them are incredibly talented bands and neighbors don't want to hear sound after like nine o'clock at night (sighs) or places don't want to have it super loud or the bar clientele don't necessarily want to hear music or it's, it's a mixture of things, but. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I always think of, of an age to really start hanging out with my friends or whatever. And one of several central spots in Manhattan we would hang out is, is Washington Square Park. Yeah. And the beauty of that was that 24 hours a day, you could go in there three in the morning on a Wednesday night and somebody would be playing some good music yeah. or doing something that you wanted to see there. Uh, and, you know, it's free. It's free. It's entertainment. It's New York. Yeah. And that's what makes it. Like, And what happened was, though, pe- you know, the same thing you're describing, people with, with money, new money at that, which is even kind of worse, were moving into the area because they love the area. That's where they used to hang out. 
But then they started having kids, and, yep. and all of a sudden they had problems with the noise from the park. Yeah, I, I'll never forget. I, I, I went into it's the, time for them to move to Plainville, Connecticut. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, but that's the thing. It's like it, you know, people wanted to. Yeah, they they were attracted to the area for that reason, and then they moved in there, and now had the muscle to change that. Yeah, and like I still have never fully recovered from them instituting a a, a curfew or, or a shutdown of Washington Square. Park. I mean, yeah. To me, that was the beauty of it. Go there at three in the morning. You know, hang out with your friends and then hit there before going home. Yeah. Well, the you city's know? loud. It's supposed to be a loud place. Like that's this is what I'm saying. And and so so I I have a personal dark spot in my heart for people who love a place and then move in and have the money to change the place. Yeah. You well, know. that's very much what happened at Jersey City and Hoboken and New York City as well. So it's, uh, again, like there's hope, there's places, and there's definitely not as many, but there's still people out there trying to fight to keep some keep music alive and keep uh, some sort of venue or like safe haven for people to be and just create. But yeah, uh, yeah it's it's definitely, it's a, it's a constant battle. There's never just like a place that's going to stay. It's transient and... Now your your yeah. band came together as that scene was started, starting to peter out, right? Yeah. And then, and then pandemic, right? It was just a little before pandemic? Yeah, so we actually were going to go into Nine Live Studio in Jersey City and record our first album. And this really amazing uh, sound engineer, Nicholas Stemmer, he was going to record our stuff. And then the pandemic happened. So we had like a year and a half hiatus where we didn't even see each other or play. Wow. And then my guitar player, Sid, he's got a... Uh, a property up in Vermont. So we went up to Danby and uh, we just spent a week in his house and just this beautiful farmland. So we got to go out and take hikes and then we would just like play a little bit and then decide to record something. And we built the first album off of that. So um, and did you record it there? Mm hmm. Oh, man. So Sid nice. actually um, used all this downtime to learn how to play drums and then mix and master because at the time we didn't have a drummer. So he not only <laughs> well, plays guitar, doing... but he learned how to play drums and he did all pretty much all of the drum tracks on the, the first album. And, and he had the time and circumstance to, to construct it in the studio, right? Yeah, so he uh, he recorded everything, he mixed everything, and then our friend uh, Nick Ciavada, he ended up doing all the mastering for it, so... Um, it turned into something pretty cool, but I I'm glad that these guys What's all the know what to do. What's the name of that first album? Uh, Late last night. Okay. Yeah. And, it, and I, I believe we used the title track for a previous episode. You did. <laughs> you know, when, when I record the intros and outros, I'll, I'll do the research and say, and if you want to hear something, go go back to this episode. You can <laughs> find it. So 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 y your first album essentially came together at a time when you couldn't uh, play out to we promote couldn't perform it. at all and we couldn't even like do an album release or anything because it just it was it was a long process and when it we finally got it out there things were opening but there was still like a weird mix of like some people sure. were comfortable some people weren't but uh there was one of the places we used to love to play that just closed, unfortunately, Corgi uh, had a loading dock that they would have people play on. So they had like oh, a whole like outdoor cool. space and uh, it was kind of like the safe way to get music out there. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. was one of our first gigs back was being able to play out there. And uh, it was cool because everybody was safely apart, but still together. And mm -hmm. it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and along the way, you picked up a, a, a gig drummer. Yeah, so we ended up, our, my friend um, Fred Jenkins, he plays with the Hudson City Rats and he plays with uh, Twiddle and Thumbs, which is like a really cool, I don't even know how to define that music. It's it's very like singer-songwriter, acoustic, like they kind of transport you to like some stream in the middle of the woods and mm. it's got like a bluegrassy vibe. It's, it's very cool. But he plays with them and a bunch of other bands and 
he didn't have time at first, and then he heard us play a couple times, and he decided that he did want to be our drummer. So we, uh, we've been playing a bunch with him. So yeah, I guess he's, I don't think he's totally official yet, but he's been our <laughs> drummer for the past like two years. So that's been fun. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So when you guys came together to record the first album, uh, are you uh, are you the primary songwriter? Uh, for the first album, yeah, I wrote all those songs, and then uh, Sid and Paul came on and added their parts and kind of just made it complete. Mm-hmm. But um, the second album, it's a nice mix of my stuff and Sid's stuff. So uh, we co-wrote one of the songs together um, called Something in the Air Tonight, and that was Sid came up with, like, the melody and the song, and then I, I went through and changed a lot of the lyrics to it, and we ended up coming up with something really cool. Nice. Um, kind of transports you to New Orleans, like, smoky bar, drinking Sazerac. So I'm excited about that one. But um, we have a handful of his songs, a handful of my songs, and uh, the next album is going to be a more of a mix of different types of music, whereas mm-hmm. uh, the first album was more like singer-songwriter type stuff. But you end up with a cool product when the the bass player is like a punk influence, the guitar player is uh, blues-influenced. I'm much more singer-songwriter, 60s classic rock, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, and then our mm-hmm. drummer plays literally every type of music you could think of. So it, it's it, a cool mix. I, I, I have to say, my, my, my own little bit of experience, I love when people with radically different sensibilities come together to create something and enjoy doing that as opposed yeah. to, uh, Lord help me, I, I, our beloved late bass player for our house band, uh, Fernando, well, Fernando Morales Gonzalez. <laughs> he, you know, he, he was like the world's biggest, you know, death metal head. And he was and, such a teddy bear. <laughs> and yeah, and what, what, I, what I always say is like, anytime you saw him going to a gig, he'd be wearing whatever god awful, you know. De- and I have nothing against death metal, but like, <laughs> but he'd be wearing a t shirt of of you know real uh, dyed in wool metal, and and you're like, oh, he's that kind of death metal head. But <laughs> if you looked at his guitar case, he had a stuffed tigger attached to it. <laughs> Oh, I love that it. Little guy with a tigger. No, <laughs> but but I I always felt for him because you know we play you know our wheelhouse is old school R and B and and top forty, uh, but we you know and we went along we we got a little bit more eclectic. But poor Fernando, always sitting there having to play songs that he hates. Oh God! Uh, well, he didn't he, he didn't hate most of them, but it was just like he would never play this on his own accord or whatever. Right. But what. All but he's happy to play with you. <laughs> but uh, all, all of this to say that I, I love when people with very eclectic, different tastes choose to come together because they can create something really, really fun and interesting because everybody, you know, if everyone uh, contributes something to the mix, you know. Yeah. So the first album is your stuff. Is that the first time you, you had a bunch of your stuff being played with a, a, a full Band, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that must a really have been exciting. It was so exciting because we like tweaked some of the songs, just like the chords that we were playing, and just like the way of putting it out there. Mm. I think that I'm a strong lyricist, but I, I don't necessarily write bridges into my songs or like have dynamics that take you anywhere. It'll be like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. So it was really mm-hmm, cool to mm-hmm. have somebody like Sid sit down with this and be like, "You need a bridge here. This <laughs> needs to like rise up. This needs to drop off in energy. You need to like take people on a ride." Yeah, and. uh the song should go somewhere. So there were places to him that were obvious places to do that with them. And I just didn't see that with my own song. So just to have somebody else like really pay attention and pull out the best parts and just like make it stand out. That was, that was cool. So, I mean, they definitely changed a lot. And I went back and listened to some of my like just 
phone recordings of myself like playing mm -hmm. singing and playing guitar and it's a drastically different song with the band <laughs> versus what it was so were, were you at all resistant at the beginning of that process because you know you, you're used to working a certain way for so long no it actually all happened very easily like I there was there was no pushback um from either side so oh, nice. I, was, I was pretty open to a lot of these changes because I, I felt like something was missing and I just mm -hmm. didn't know how to articulate that or know what it was and Sid jumped right in and was like oh it's this it's this it's this and there weren't any changes that I was resistant to. Um, I think if he had tried to change lyrics, I might have been a little <laughs> more uh, hesitant. But he'd have gone down. <laughs> but but yeah, with the uh, with the way that it was played and just uh, their additions to everything, it just made it stronger. So uh, had this impacted how you write songs now? Yes. Like, yeah, definitely. Um, I try to keep the band in mind and just write different ways. So you don't want a lot of just the same, the same, the same. I think that's when I get tired of an artist and listening to their stuff, they might have like a killer first album, but everything else you're like, yeah, it didn't really hit the mark. Um, I like to hear people try different things and kind of stay true to their own self, but yeah, play different types of music or, or sing in various ways. And even vocally, like I've tried to just write for different ranges of my voice and uh, just kind of do more interesting things with it so so the album you're presently working on is the second mm -hmm. second album do you have a target release date for that uh not set in stone but we've got everything recorded we just need to go in and add like backup vocals and keyboards and stuff like that so hopefully spring to fall so we'll see and now that things have opened up are you playing out more as a band yeah so we've been trying to play at least like two gigs a month so we were actually playing um at Crossroads in Garwood, and that's a really fun place. So I'm hoping to do more uh, events and stuff there. But uh, yeah, we've been looking for various places now that Corgi closed down. So, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, usually the targets to do uh, at least one or two per month. You guys played City Winery, right? Mm -hmm. And that was that was just before pandemic, right? Yeah. So we actually we went in there, and um, I, I think they moved their location. I don't know if they're still offering this, but. They had a, a sound guy that would record. He'd give you an hour, and mm. he would videotape you, and you could squeeze in as many songs as you wanted. We did four oh. of them in that time, and it was down where, like, all the wine barrels were. Mm. So it was, like, just really cool acoustics and a cool space. And then he would go through and mix and master it and give you that finished product and just put it out on YouTube. So I know we yeah. did it for a bunch of different bands, like well-known ones and lesser-known ones, but it was a fun experience. It was Which were you? Cool. <laughs> what? I can't ask? Depends I, on who I, you no, ask. I, I remember, because I, I, I think, I don't think I've, I, no, I, I know I haven't seen your full band live, but uh, I remember when I saw that, like, oh, that was so cool, because, you know, I've heard your music. You, when we were doing the Uptown Cabaret, you were a featured artist twice, right? I think just once, but uh, you got me written up in the Daily News. That was cool. Oh, that's <laughs> right, I forgot about that. I was like, that. there's my name. <laughs> shout out to PR guy Gordon. <laughs> That's definitely his doing. But yeah, that place was super cool. And yeah, I was a feature writer once, so that was that was fun. But I played a bunch of the shows there. Just right. That's where you know, I, I lost track. We only had, like I think, two or three people who were the featured composer more than once. The Uptown Cabaret, and then it started, and then like a year or two later, we added that, so that didn't run as long. Right. But we always loved uh, artists like you because... Like, if, if something wasn't coming together in time or someone was being flaky, it was like, go find someone who plays with a guitar. 
Get the you. You play guitar, right? You here. We like your music. Go. <laughs> we don't have to worry about oh the the these people aren't available tonight, or I can't do it without my my you know backing singer, or I can't do it without my competent. No, you got your guitar. You can still play it, right? Come. Yeah. Um, you gotta make it worth work with what you got. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we we always liked the fact that we not only liked your music and and your voice and all of that and and uh, you know very likable stage presence, but it was just like there's no fuss. So, Nicole says, "Yeah, you want me to play? I'll come. <laughs> yeah, sure." And and you do the job, and everyone had a good time. So, um, and it was cool to like have a bunch of comedians that wouldn't necessarily like be there for music that are like, "Oh, cool, we liked it." <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's true. I was speaking specifically about the Uptown Cabaret, but you're right. Yeah, you you you, Lord, you you've done a bunch of our shows in different places, yeah. storytellers <laughs> and comics. So you're the the whole sideshow. Auto shrunken head. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one other question with regards to your travel guide gig and 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 this, you've been paying the bills more or less this way, right? Yeah, so, I, I mean, music's music's the passion, and if that would play, if that would pay my bills, that's what I would do. But it's, you mean you give hard. up? You give up the <laughs> serving job for that? Yeah, I really do like to wait tables, but uh, yeah, I would much rather play music. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I'm thinking about it like all 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 of the things you're talking about are very people interactive, and you seem like that yeah. that plays to your yeah. And I'm a big foodie too, so I love to give people an experience, and uh, that's why I like the guiding so much. But even with waiting tables, and I, I bartend on the side every so often, and I do like catering events and parties, and um, I I like to just have see people that are happy. So I like to be the person that makes that happen. And uh, I like to recommend certain foods and like the wine that pairs with it and just kind of like make it a good experience and be that friendly face that is there for him. So it's... Having once or twice been... No, you know what? I've never been in a venue where you were working. I, I I, I've been in a have, venue no. where you were playing that you had worked at. Yeah. <laughs> well, just a couple of more things before we release you onto yourself. I, I know your travel guide work had been extensive enough at the time of pandemic, I believe you were closing in on having been in all 50 states. Have you achieved that yet? Yeah, actually, I, I got that back in uh, 2019. I went to Hawaii. was my last state. I thought so, that was your last. Yeah, and I actually, that, no, it was 2018 I did that. Cause oh, I, okay. I actually, that was my 50th state, and then I went back and hit all 50 again within the year. So I really, led, I didn't know that I led a 75 day trip across 48 States. And then I oh, decided yeah, to like hop to Hawaii. And then I went up to see some friends in Alaska and I was like, all right, within a 12 month period, I've done all 50. I had already done most of them quite a few times, but how, how many have you performed in? No, oh, geez. Um, probably 10. I, I ask you because uh, I think you know him, James Tristan Redding. He used to perform with us uh, with the band and mm-hmm. uh, as a guest. A few years ago, he notched, I believe he, he finally achieved uh, having performed in all 50 states. That's a cool experience. All right. Well, you know, he's one of these guys, not only just a, a prolific songwriter and, and super talented guy, but he's also one of these people who just like sets his mind and like, you know, that would be a cool thing to do. Damn it, I'm going to do it. I like that. If you count singing around the campfire, then yes, I've sung in all 50 <laughs> states. But <laughs> I, I, officially, we're going to count that. Okay. <laughs> 
So, all right. So, so a, a, a little bit more of a sense of normalcy uh, creeping into the the music scene, performing stuff. Do you have any any goals for the band? Um, we just want to play out as much as we can, and we definitely um, we have writing sessions like at least once a year. So, I'd like to try to flesh out a next album as well to have in the future. So it's always nice to like know you've got enough material to do the next thing and not try to scrounge for it. So mm-hmm. um, I think goal is just to write at least a handful more songs and just have a third album on the back burner and then just to get this album out there and hopefully get some traction with it. Oh, most excellent. Wait, so if people want to check you out, check your music out, check the band out, where can they go? Uh, so the music is available on pretty much any streaming platform. So we're on uh, Apple Tunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Tidal, um, YouTube, we're Nikki and the Skyrockets is on Facebook, Instagram, and then we play, we've got a couple upcoming gigs. We're playing at uh, Crossroads in Garwood. We are playing at a uh, Hat City Kitchen in Orange, New Jersey, and then hoping to get more stuff around uh, Jersey City as well. Dancing Tony um, does a lot of like outdoor events in the springtime, so Kind of just keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. But he does something called Groove on Grove that down near the uh, the Grove Street Path train, he always, every Wednesday, has mm-hmm. like a really cool band that's playing. And usually one or two of them um, each Wednesday when the weather gets warm enough. So oh, and, that, that, all, all of this is exciting stuff. And so if, they, if they're following you on the socials, they'll see announcements Yeah, we about post it. all that stuff. So Excellent. Well, th- thanks for coming out to play. And, and, and by the way, let the record state, to make this this episode happened. Nicole Bozudo <laughs> took an Uber, the PATH train, and the C train. <laughs> did the C bring you all the way up? It did. Wow, this is a special Sunday. <laughs> thank you so much for, for taking the time. Come play with us. Keep doing your good work. Anytime. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to us talk as much as I enjoyed talking with Nicole. Nicole Bizzuto, front person for the band Nikki and the Skyrockets. You can find their music on Spotify and other places. They got a new album coming out soonish, and they're doing live shows. Go seek them out. It's, it's always a good time. So thanks to Nicole Bizzuto. Uh, it takes a lot to make episodes like this happen, believe it or not. And I want to acknowledge the people who make this happen, who hold us up. First and foremost, our producer and chief audio engineer, the grand poobah of all, Gary Hardcastle. Additional sound mixing provided by Miles Mix Appeal Blue Spruce. A tip of the cap to our production assistants, Stanley Resio and Jeremy Pueo. Some research. Yes, there's actually some research done. <laughs> Involve research and support. We got to come up with a better official title to Stupendous Stephanie. And our theme music, opening and closing music, is written and performed by King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. We always like to leave you with a little music. And in this case, we're going to leave you with a new or new-ish song from Nikki and the Skyrockets. It's called Alaska. Please enjoy. Please take good care of yourselves. Hope to see you at some of the anniversary month events at a show. Come by, say hi. And until next time, my name is Eric Vedder. I love you all. Melting like 
Thank you. 